referring to a crown as a protective helmet. It seems to make a lot of sense to most patients. everyone and welcome to the Dental Head Start podcast. Today we've got a very exciting episode because I am joined by three lovely ladies. I have Zainab Noah, Olan Hartley and Jayana Hartland. How are you all and welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. So honoured to be a part of this. Thank you for having us and hosting this. This has been such a lovely opportunity to be part of. Yeah, I think we're all really excited to be here. So thank you. I think for a little bit of context for everyone, I think over the years, we've all heard perhaps of each other's names, maybe interacted a little bit, but we officially met about a few, like a month ago, a few weeks ago at the Australian Dental Graduates mini residency up in Caloundra on the Sunshine Coast. And so I think for context for everyone, the four of us are all New grads, we all graduated last year and now we're all in our first month out. And at that event with Avenue Dental, we just really hit it off, clicked really well. And I thought it'd be wonderful just to bring you guys all together and just have a chat, go into, I guess, the perspectives of new grads and people who are in their first month out. And so perhaps to give an introduction for all our listeners, shall I go through everyone one by one and perhaps you can tell me who you are? where you graduated and where you're based right now. Zainab, why don't we start off with you? Sure, sounds good. So my name is Zainab Noor. I am from the Gold Coast originally, but I did my university in La Trobe. Uh, that's in Bendigo, so rural Victoria. I'm now working with Avenue Dental and Baringa up on the Sunshine Coast in private practice. Yeah, I think one of the things we'll dive into in today's episode is just that transition, like studying in one place and then working in another, like you yourself have moved around quite a bit in your life. And so I think it'll be really interesting to see how you're doing and how you're managing that. Yeah, it's definitely something to adjust to, but I'm lucky that I'm going coast to coast, so it's fun no matter what, I'm close to the beach. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can't go wrong when you have the sun, hey? Exactly. Sun and water. Jayana, how about yourself? So I was born on the Gold Coast as well. And I did uni at Griffith University on the Gold Coast. And now I have stayed on the Gold Coast as well at a private practice in Burley Heads. So I haven't had the pleasure of moving around, but it has been nice to be in my home base. And yes, same as Yuzi. I love the sun and water. So I can't see myself going too far away from that. That's probably why you haven't moved because (laughs) you struck struck gold from the beginning, hey? Yes. (laughs) And Olan, tell me about yourself. Erica, I think there's a little bit of a trend here because I also grew up on the Gold Coast. Yes. Uh, And (laughs) um, like Jayanne, I went to Griffith University and I decided that I just wanted to get out of the Gold Coast, experience something new. And I'm now in Launceston, a regional town in northern Tasmania. I'm working in a private practice called Innova Dental. Uh, and so far, it has been challenging, rewarding, and I have learned so much already. So unlike the rest of us who moved closer to the sun and water, you moved down south. How are you finding the weather? <laughs> oh, it is freezing. And I don't know if I'm going to survive <laughs> winter, to be honest, <laughs> coming from the sunny Gold Coast. That's one of my biggest struggles because I think we've gone the opposite way because I'm originally based in Melbourne, so I'm just used to the yeah. cold, right? And then I come here and I'm just overheating all the time. 
Oh man, it's um, it's something to get used to. That's so funny. I guess something that I did, and actually, why I was inspired to do this episode was for any of our listeners that tuned in last year, probably around this time. Actually, we did an episode with Joanne Richard and Anushka, who were all final year dental students, and we did a feature interview looking into the perspectives of a dental student. And you know, we represented Latrobe, UCID, and UQ last time, and so now we've added Griffith onto the map, giving you guys some attention as well. We'll finally get to Adelaide and UWA and toss it at some point <laughs> in our next in our next one, hey. But one of the questions I asked everyone in that interview was, as a little icebreaker, if you were a fruit, what fruit would you be and why? <laughs> it's um it's such an intriguing question. I feel like I think I'm gonna go with one of my favorite fruits, which is a mango. I'd have to say mangoes are incredibly sweet. Um, usually a crowd favorite. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I guess I am a bit of a people pleaser. So, yeah, I'd have to go with the mango. I think that's very accurate. I can totally see you as a mango. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, okay, mine I think would have to be watermelon. My reasoning for that is because it's often used or it's often had with mates and, you know, it's a social thing and I'm quite a social person and um, I do think watermelon is something that you have at the beach or, you know, it's a very summery tropical fruit and it can be cut in many ways. It can be dressed up or dressed down. It can be formal <laughs> or casual. So <laughs> versatile. Lena's got it all. She's got you. <laughs> I've thought about this. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. There seems to be a trend. Very summery, very versatile. Everyone loves you. That's awesome. <laughs> and how about you, Jayana? I'm going to say mm-hmm. passion fruit will be the fruit Ooh. I would choose. A little zesty. Yes, zesty in summary still, but I think what's good about the passion fruit is it highlights the importance of what's like on the inside. So the inside of the passion fruit is this delicious, yummy, seedy, zesty thing. And then, you know, the outside maybe isn't that appetizing, but it always is like how the person is on the inside. That's so sweet. I love that. You are most <laughs> definitely a passion fruit there, Jayana. No, <laughs> I think that's you. a wonderful description. <laughs> <laughs> and so we've talked a little bit about where everyone is now, but let's take a step back from there. And I wanted to hear from each of you just briefly about how that job hunting process was and how you came about to decide where you wanted to end up. Now, Ola, did you always see yourself moving down to Tasmania? I definitely didn't um, consider Tassie at all at the start. And I think throughout dental school, I was kind of thinking, you know, I've grown up on the Gold Coast. I've kind of fallen into this degree. I was very proximate to everything, unlike a lot of our peers that have sort of moved from at least interstate, but even Canada and New Zealand overseas. So I thought it'd be my chance after dent school to sort of branch out, go somewhere new. For a long time, I was tossing up the idea of going rurally purely for the experience and and having nothing that really tied me to the Gold Coast other than family. So while I was young, I wanted to get out and experience something new, be the best clinician I could be as soon as I could be. And I think that's why I sort of led into looking at regional areas like Tassie because it's not as isolating as a rural town but it's still got that experience aspect to it yeah 
That's wonderful. I relate to that a lot, Olan. And I think a common theme that we'll talk about throughout this episode, and I've mentioned it to Jayana before in the past, is just, you know, if not now, then when, right? Like if we don't seize opportunities, try exploring things at this point, like when else are you going to do it? And so I think that's such a wonderful attitude to have. And I very much relate to that. Did you make multiple applications or were you kind of set on going to Tasmania at that particular practice? Yeah, I did. I did look at a few other places. I looked on the sunny coast as well, looked uh, rurally too, as I did my placement in Kingaroy, which is a rural town in Queensland. But I was really set on this particular practice. I actually reached out in dent school and just messaged the practice owner before a job offer was even out saying, hey, like I'm super, super interested. And I think it's because I was looking for a practice that offered mentorship and a practice that had hired a lot of new grads before and a practice that was located, um, like I said, in that regional kind of environment. Oh, wonderful. I would say, Zainab, you would have somewhat of a similar experience in where you've gone. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. I think um, a lot of what Olan has said, I definitely resonate with as well. Um, Having done a rural degree, I definitely find it very gratifying. But for myself, I was definitely tossing up between either returning back to the Gold Coast, doing something a bit more metro versus, you know, kind of committing to my, my growth as a new grad and then obviously prioritizing the mentorship and the support that you need in your first few weeks and your first few months, I would say. And so that's why I really ended up pursuing Avenue. So I didn't end up applying to many places. I sort of was set on Avenue from the very start. So I guess my experience has been a little bit different to most grads. I was just kind of set on this one place and I did observe at other places just to get a vibe and see what I need to look out for and what advice people provide. But yeah, Avenue, I think for me was really, and all be all, mainly because of the support that they provide. And honestly, I thought for a second, maybe relocating again and, you know, sacrificing my youth again to like a regional rural location would be tough, but it hasn't been. It's been so rewarding. And every day I sort of check in and see, and I just confirm and validate the fact that I made the right choice. And that's a really nice feeling. And Jayana, I'm really excited to have you and your perspective on the show as well, because even though we've talked about relocating, moving elsewhere for work, I also have a lot of friends who have decided to stay where they are, whether it be their partners or their family, or just you know being really integrated into their hometown and community. And so moving regional, moving interstate was never really on the cards for them. What was your perspective and experience like? Was that always something that you knew you would stay? Yeah, so I originally really wanted to move to the regional or rural place because everyone knows that you get a lot of experience. Um, but I do have very strong like family ties and commitments here and also my partner as well. So it felt as though if I was to do that, I would be really compromising my personal life. So I had to make that decision, like, what am I going to do? I did think about it long and hard and I thought, you know, at the end of the day, I think my personal life does trump a little bit higher than the professional life. And I thought, I spoke to other people who stayed locally on the Gold Coast and they said they were still getting experience. So I thought, all right, I'll do it. I'll give it a red hot go. And um, one thing I did try to tell myself as well, because I guess we try to find positives in our situation to make ourselves feel better. But I did think as well, like maybe a positive is even though 
yes, I'm probably going to be quiet and yes, I can confirm it is definitely quieter in that more city location that over time, like it's going to take a few years, but I will hopefully develop a full book. And so whether I was to go out rurally and gain lots of experience and come back, I would have to then grow my book again. So I guess the one positive is I'm doing the groundwork now and I'm hoping I'll reap the rewards later. Yeah. I started looking for jobs in the middle of the year and it turns out I only ended up going for one interview before I signed a contract. So I didn't, um, same as Z, I kind of just had this one place, but I wasn't actually looking for it. I just, I went to this really low key lecture at uni, just a guest speaker. I think seven of us turned off, including Alan. And I really, I really hit it off with the speaker. We had a fantastic chat. And then afterwards he messaged me and he's like, Hey, I remember you said you wanted to stay on the Gold Coast. I'll hook you up with my friend who owns a practice in Burley. And I had love hard eyes because Burley has always been my (laughs) favorite place since I was like a baby. I swear it was really good. I went for an interview, went through that whole process. And this was probably, I think in August, it was really early. And I was thinking to myself, oh, wow, do I sign this contract before I even consider all of my options? I had so many voices coming from like all these other perspectives coming at me like, oh, you should wait, you should look for better things and like keep all your options open. But I just decided, no, I think this is right and I'm going to take this opportunity. And it worked really well because I was doing my placement at the Tweed Hospital and this dental practice was on the drive home from Tweed back to my um, place in Broadbeach. So... It worked out well, you know, when I was still at placement, I was going into this practice quite often, going to observe on my free time. So look, I think I made the right decision, but if I'm being completely honest, I still am not a hundred percent sure, but I'll work it out. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like you've ended up and found yourself in a wonderful place regardless. And I think what's important as well is that we are at the beginning of what will likely be you know, a long career. You know, even if you don't get it right immediately, you can always change. You can always you know, start again, start afresh in somewhere place. It's a chaptered story. It's not the be or end all regardless of where you are. And I think as a new grad, regardless of where you end up, you are going to learn immense amounts. I think you mentioned a really valuable point, Jayana, where you said this is where you eventually want to settle. And so you're setting the groundwork now, making those connections, familiarizing yourself and your skill set to cater to a particular you know, area and demographic. DPL is proud to be hosting their inaugural Spotlight on Risk conference on Saturday the 27th of May. It's a two-hour online conference and it's free for all dental professionals and students. Get excited to hear from their awesome panel of speakers, including Drs. Laurie Walsh, Annalene Weston, Colm Harney, Simon Parsons, Dan Pronk, and social media specialist Karen Sutherland, as they talk through a variety of topics including artificial intelligence, failure and resilience, as well as the benefits and challenges of using social media as a clinician. Personally, I'm really looking forward to hearing them talk about AI. There's no doubt that times are changing and I think it's important for us to recognize that and understand the impacts technology may have on dentistry. Registration is super easy and you can sign up via the Dental Protection website or through the link provided in our show notes. It's going to be such a valuable event, so make sure to tune in. 
One thing I thought that I found really interesting that was almost common, I think, amongst all three of you. Zainab will probably remember this because a few weeks ago, we were invited to speak on UQ's new grad panel and we were asked what our job hunting process was like. And I'm someone who loves to make analogies. So I described it to the students that job hunting is a little bit like dating, where on one hand, you could be swiping through hinge profiles. But then on the other hand, there is the cute boy or girl that lives down the road. And so there's almost two ways going about it. On one hand, you might hand your resume to your prospective employer and they'll sit there with a hundred resumes on their desk there and they're swiping through oh this one's okay this one's a little boring oh this one's got an interesting this person's won an award and so they offer you an interview and you see where you go from there the other hand which seems like many of you guys experienced was that you develop these relationships with your practices a little bit earlier, whether it be like Jayana or dropping by on her way to and from home and Tweed Hospital or like Olan where before they even were sending out applications, you already got an in contact with the practice owner. It's like the the neighbor that I was saying where, oh, you've been over to their house, you know their family, you play with their cat, you take their bins out when they're on holidays. You have that relationship. And so you're getting into a work environment where you know what the culture is like, you know how they practice. And in that sense, I think there's a bit more reassurance in knowing what you're getting yourself into. And in the same way that practice owner already know, like, and trust you. Would you guys agree or what would your thoughts be on that? I think definitely one thing that is um, skimmed over, or I guess not enough people talk about, is finding a practice that matches your ethos. I think that's something that I didn't realize until I look back in hindsight and I'm I think about it, it's not just about, you know, the typical stuff that people think about when they're applying for jobs like private versus public or location or even like, you know, commission versus salary, SFA, all of that stuff that's talked about a lot. But I think finding the right match for you, that is really key in terms of job hunting. And similar to what Alan and Gianna have done, I also went um, about to try and make sure that Avenue and, you know, the, the people that are part of that team um, I was aware of what kind of priorities and what kind of values and roles they had because I worked a lot with ADSA, the dental committee for Australian um, dental students across Australia. And I tried to work with them quite closely. So Steve and Eli, um, we had them on board for a lot of our grad um, series. And so naturally doing things like that, I feel like that's something that I always recommend to a lot of students that ask me questions now about where should they apply or how to go about the process you know is it still handing a physical resume or whether they should be cold calling I think one thing that I've learned across my years as well is that a lot of it is about standing out and I know for us in our particular grad year I think having a clinical portfolio was a big trend I don't know if anyone else also was kind of pushed to do that it was great because you get to track your progress and looking through it I was looking through it the other day and I thought oh my god that feeling I should not have that <laughs> on there I don't know if I can be as proud as I am of that feeling but definitely I think making yourself stand out and finding the right match and interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you is a really really important uh, aspect of job hunting. That's wonderful. And Jayana, you know, throughout your time observing and interacting with the practice that you ultimately ended up with, what were the things that you saw and were green flags that made you feel comfortable to then proceed to agree with working there? Mm, it's a good question. I think one big thing was the lady dentist who I was typically observing. I really looked up to her. 
So this clinic hasn't taken on many new grads before, but she was one of the new grads that they had taken on and she's four years out now and she's doing incredible work. She's doing implants. She's really doing everything. So I thought, okay, you know, even though this practice isn't advertising mentorship and isn't necessarily having a big pool of new grads coming through, there's just like this one lady who's like living proof that whatever mentorship does go on, it is really effective and really working well. Some things, I guess, I did like the values of the practice and what the owner had as well. And I think from his perspective, he's all about providing very, very good quality dentistry and having high expectations of yourself and doing the best that you can. So I really liked that. And even though that's really scary and daunting as a new grad, when you've got limited skills, I thought, you know, putting on that little bit of pressure is like the best way to grow really. And being like thrown in the deep end a little bit. So that's what I like. One thing as well is they had all the stuff with the CEREC, all the scanners. And I thought it would be really good to have that exposure because we don't get taught that in university. Just like the whole vibe of the clinic inside is very nice. We've got like all these natural plants everywhere and people get cups of tea when they come in. Like I know that's such little superficial stuff and it doesn't matter at the end of the day, but I did like that environment too. kind of resonates well with me. So those were overall some big green flags. The only red flag that I was seeing and it has come true to light now is that not every day the books were full. So there was a little bit more gaps and I thought, okay, this is a bit of a red flag, but I still decided to stick through it because of the learning that I believe I would get from, yeah, my boss wanting to do like, you know, really good quality work. And they do pretty much everything at this practice as well. That's probably another big thing to mention. Whereas like when I was a dental assistant, I was assisting at the same practice throughout my whole university degree. And it's a great practice, but it had quite a limited scope. And I thought, oh, because originally when I started working, there, I was like, oh yeah, I'll definitely get a job here when I graduate. And then I think I was getting into like my fourth year and I was like, I will not be getting a job here when I graduate <laughs> because my scope will be so limited. So that was good perspective, I think, as well. I have two comments that I want to make, actually. And you said, first of all, that you felt, oh, maybe there were superficial things about having a lot of natural plants and cups of tea. I actually think that is so important. We'll call it the vibes of the practice, right? But when you are there <laughs> every day, it matters. It matters to how you feel, the general ambience, the mood that it puts you in. I think if you're going into an environment that feels really sterile, it's really glum, people are really serious, then, you know, that takes a toll on you. We're already doing work that is stressful enough as it is. And so wherever you get those breaths of fresh air, I think it's so important. I guess some green flags that relate to what you were mentioning there, Jayana, about my practice is that something as little as this, but in our lunchroom, we have a whiteboard. And when I first went to observe at this practice, they had a question written up on the whiteboard and it was, um, do you stop the microwave before the beep? or after the beep. And I sat there at lunchtime with the whole team and everyone was having this heated debate and argument about what you were doing. They're like, Erica, go put your name up on the board. Which area do you vote for? And then I found out that this is a common trend that they do at the practice almost every day or every week. We swap it out to some silly question that sparks this lunchroom debate. 
But the whole point of it is just to get conversation going, to be like a um, a break from all the stresses in dentistry, to get some laughs going on. And I think that is so important. Would you guys agree? And what's the work culture been like for each of you? How about you, Olan? Absolutely. Workplace culture is is a huge thing. And it's something that you can pick up a little bit when you go observe during that period when you are scoping out where you want to work. And for me, when I did observe the practice, I just saw that everyone was genuinely happy. And and similar quirky things that the, the practice offers, you know, puzzles in, in the staff room that people work on in between during their breaks or people bringing in like baked goods to share during lunchtime. And everyone chatting with each other, not so much on their phones during the lunch break. So that's something that I really noticed and really prompted me to, yeah, seek out this job. I was going to say, Zainab, you work at Avenue, which has been voted the best workplace to live. Oh, wait, best place to work? (laughs) Not live. I don't (laughs) want to live at work. (laughs) I feel like I do already. (laughs) Yeah. How is that for you and how has it been? Um, I think actually my number one thing, for where I wanted to work was actually being really good friends with everyone I work with. So everywhere I was interested in, the biggest thing for me was whether I can be good friends with, you know, my DAs and my receptionist and the other dentists and whether we all get along and hang out after work. That was such a big thing for me. So that was the number one actual reason that I pursued Avenue because besides all the mentorship and, you know, all the other great things about working there, I think one big thing that they offer is that support and friendship, to be honest. Like, you know, I walked into the practice and everyone had nicknames and everyone was so welcoming. And we actually have weekly life coaching. (laughs) So we all do a check-in and one day of the week, we have like a 90-minute sort of session where we talk about our good news and whether that be personal or clinical, we talk about our goals and we check in with each other and make sure we're all feeling okay and that we have, you know, support for any questions or any inquiries, whether that be within our lives or outside of that. That's so important. And we're really going to touch into, I guess, the personal growth that comes and and the emotional growth that comes with working and going into full adult life. The other thing that I wanted to talk about and that Jayana had brought up was just inevitably, I think regardless of what practice you go get yourself into, is that there will be downtime and we will have the quiet moments. You'll have patients that FTA, patients that cancel or just you know parts of the day that we're not able to fill out. Jayana, what have you felt your experience has been during those quieter moments and what do you do in that downtime? Mm. It has been um, a bit of a roller coaster with the books. So my first week, it was really busy, ironically, and so I didn't have any downtime when I felt like I really needed it. And then after that, when we got in, because I started at the start of January, and then when we got into February, I think everyone knows that February is that quieter month. And I guess during those periods of downtime, I was trying to watch lectures online, whether that's through like the ADA actually has really great webinars, Ripe Global, listening to podcasts, like podcasts are my all-time favorite. So I would try to listen to things. I used to have these ideas that I would practice on fake teeth and all of the rest of my downtime, but I just never seemed to get to it. I think I need to break past that barrier and really utilize it. but. I just think it just doesn't feel the same as doing it inside the mouth. And I know that you can still pick up some skills from practicing on fake teeth in the downtime, but 
I guess I just really desire to keep doing in real life clinical situations because I feel like that's where we really learn the most. So other things I try to do in my downtime is a bit of admin work for a few extracurricular things. I try to stay busy. Like I I really hate sitting around doing nothing because I feel like that makes you end up feeling more tired and lethargic. And then when you finally do see a patient again, you're kind of out of that rhythm. So I do try to fill the space as much as possible. But yeah, it has been a bit of a roller coaster with the books. Like some days, like there was this one day that I think I only had one patient, but I stay at the clinic the whole time because, you know, I'm hungry. I want to see patients. Like I want to be there if there's a walk-in or I want to be available if an emergency patient calls up. So definitely was and is quite upsetting when days are quiet. And I had this week, a few weeks ago, it was really bizarre, but I had the first patient of the day, FTA, like three days in a row. And it was all three different patients as well. So this is like a little bit of a tangent. I'm sorry, but I think one thing that's really helped me with FTAs and, you know, people being unreliable is I've kind of changed my schedule a little bit and I'm still working on it, but I do a lot for myself in the morning. So, you know, I do my exercise in the morning. I eat a super healthy, yummy breakfast. And so I feel like I've taken care of myself first and foremost. So if, yes, my first patient FTA is well, I'm like, all right, well, I've already done so much for myself today. So whereas like when these patients were FTA and the first thing I would do is I'd have a quick breakfast and go to work and I felt like I was prioritizing that and then I wasn't even reaping the rewards. So yeah, it's been um, good to just take care of yourself as well in those downtimes that you have. And you're not the only person, Jayana. The reality is not every day is you know what you see on Instagram. It's not all the stars and rainbows and unicorns. There are days where it's just really tough. There are days where your whole day is just it's empty. There are days where you have a whole day of patients that just you don't get along with, you don't click with, and I think it's important to talk about how you overcome that. And I'm really glad to have your perspective as well, Jayana, because you know, I've had people reach out to me before where they said, oh, you know, Erica, I started at this practice. I work Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I saw one patient on Monday and then no patients on Wednesday and no patients on Friday. And it's just they felt like they were alone and the only person something's wrong. But I'm like, no, like that exists. As much as we have practices where, you know, there are books that are full, there are also practices where it's not necessarily that way. And so I really wanted to hear your perspective of, okay, how do you overcome that? What things do you find to do to keep yourself occupied? And it sounds very much like you're, you know, checking off all the different lists and, okay, how can I learn more professionally? How can I develop my skills clinically? How can I take care of myself mentally? I think that's so wonderful. Oland, have you experienced anything similar or what do you find yourself doing in any downtime that you, I guess, would inevitably have as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think FTAs happen to all of us. And I I have had some quieter days where a lot of patients just seem to FTA all at once. What I've been finding is going in and observing other practitioners. So at the clinic that I'm working at at the moment, there's about 10 other dentists and quite a few dentists that work similar days. So if I ever have any downtime, I always pop into a room and see if I can observe even just the little things. Like if it's a comp exam and just 
hearing how the other dentists communicate, always walk out with a little phrase or a, a nugget of gold that I'll steal for myself and utilize. So I've been kind of approaching the FTAs as just a really nice opportunity to touch base and, and grab some more knowledge and see how if I can in my head treatment plan alongside the dentist and see if we're kind of congruent in that way. But yeah, it, it can be challenging when it gets a bit sporadic and you lose the momentum and then you get a little bit anxious again to get your patient back in. But it, it, it's just one of those things with being a new grad and, and navigating. Something you mentioned there, and it actually segues beautifully into the next question I ha- wanted to ask you guys, is that you say you go into another clinician's room, you listen to them talk, and then you walk away with like a nugget of gold. Just a phrase that they use, an analogy that they make that you're like, that's really great. And then you try it. And I think one of the things is that unlike dental school, I don't know what it was like for you guys. I saw like one patient a day. And then you're like, that's the only chance I had that day. <laughs> to try something, right? In private practice, you have multiple patients that you see throughout the day, if not today, multiple patients tomorrow. And every interaction you have, you may double in something different. You try this, you see, whether it be a new communication tip that you had or a technique, whether you do your rubber dam differently, whether you place a composite in a different way. Through that experience and just sheer volume, you get to see what works and what doesn't. And so for each of you having now worked a month or two, I was wondering, what have been the things that you guys have trialed that you have felt have stuck and it's become your thing? (laughs) Jayana, you're jumping to it. What has it been for you? (laughs) It's such a simple, simple one, but being in that, in quotation marks, holistic practice, like we do get a fair few people coming in who don't want x-rays. And I think I was saying this to Alan only the other day of how I'm managing that. When I'm signposting my comp exams at the start where I'm explaining what I'm going to be doing, one way that I approach the x-rays is I say, you know, look, I'm going to be looking at your teeth with my eyes, but I can only see so much. To get a full diagnosis, I need to take these dental x-rays, which look for any hidden holes in the teeth and looking at your bone health. And so, like, I think using the simple term of hidden holes is, like, just this super easy way of explaining what we're doing, like, of looking for caries. And typically it works quite well, like me just explaining the reason why before I even say the word, you know, dental x-rays as well, just to, so they can have that understanding. So, yeah, that's just one thing that now I pretty much say religiously as I'm signposting, yeah, my comp exams. Hidden holes. That's your thing, Jayana. <laughs> so sad that that's my one thing that came to mind but no I I think it's great it's literally those little things I know personally I use analogies all of the time and I kind of cycle between them I think when I first started whenever I'd scale and then I'd get to the you know that classic lower lingual anteriors the blanket of calculus that people hate that you scale off and so my thing that I'd always say to my patients like we're just getting to the front teeth they're small they're quite sensitive and so it might feel a little bit cold when I remove it it's like taking off a warm blanket after a cold night and so that was like the one thing that I'd always say I feel like I've got a lot of other ones you know gum disease I think as everyone knows it's termites in the foundation of your house decay I'd say is like oh a a worm and an apple it might look like nothing on the top but then you open it up and it's just all rotten on the inside for me I always find that that works well with patients and then you think you kind of experiment and you see which ones work which ones don't I know people always compare root canals to like plumbing 
and cleaning the pipes, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> I've tried it and I'm like, maybe I'm just not a plumber and I don't understand how it works, but I'm not selling it to anyone here. <laughs> how have you found your experience, Alan? What's been your thing? Oh, it's, um, there's so many little gold nuggets. I guess to, um, to point one out, it would go hand in hand with photography, particularly with converting patients for crown work. Um, I'd always kind of signpost the photography and say, we're going to take some photos so that we have a baseline, but also so that we can communicate and so you can see what's happening in your mouth as well. And then when we get to going through the photos together, and if there are any sort of cracks or really compromised teeth that are heavily uh, restored, I'd say, can you see the tooth here? It's like, what are your thoughts? And they go, oh, that, that doesn't look too good, actually. And then it sort of leads to a discussion where I like to say we can reinforce the structure with like a protective helmet. So I guess that's my little phrase that I like to use is kind of referring to a crown as a protective helmet. And um, it seems to make a lot of sense to most patients. I think definitely. I think one of the things is that throughout dental school, you learn all this jargon and to you... It makes sense, of course, but a lot of times patients have no idea what it entails. As a new grand, the mental, physical, social and emotional exhaustion of being on high function and putting your best foot forward for every patient that walks through the door can take a huge toll. Much like decay that's left unaddressed, this can continue to fester and is the recipe for anxiety, burnout and depression, signs and symptoms that unfortunately our profession know all too well. So how can we recognise this? More importantly, how can we prevent ourselves spiralling down this path? Australian Hands-On Courses is running a free webinar with Dr. Kajan Chia, who is the limitless dentist to tackle exactly this. As part of their mission to help graduates accelerate their growth and reach their utmost potential, AHC is running a series of free online webinars and in-person seminars on what you should know. Overcoming and Preventing Burnout in Dentistry is Module 3 of the series. It will be run as a live webinar next Monday, the 17th of April at 6.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time. Spots are limited, so make sure you sign up via the link in our show notes and stay in the loop for the ongoing series that is free for all students and graduates. What has been your most challenging patient to date? And have you guys encountered a difficult patient? I have mine on my second day of work ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, everyone at my practice knows about it and they're all kind of teasing me about it. It's kind of just a running joke now. But yeah, he, you know, he was just one of those people that had a lot going on in his personal life. He naturally did not want to be there. And he had a lot of preconceived notions about the dentist and how, you know, he just didn't really trust the dentist and he was coming in because his wife forced him to, you know, sort of the typical scenario where they they just don't want to be there. So I think I I recognized that and I just tried to break through it and I had a nice chat with him and the kind of person I am, I I am a people pleaser. I feel like most people in dentistry are. They want people to like them. They want to win people over. So I just tried to do everything I could to make sure, you know, I could try and break through that wall. 
mind you, I did not. <laughs> he was very tough and he just sort of wanted a quick 15-minute checkup, quick clean. And unfortunately, that's not really how we do things. We really like to build report and get to know the patient and then ease into treatment because we don't want to, you know, overwhelm them. And that sort of experience made me realize, you know, you can't, one, take it personally and two, win everyone over. There are people that come to us specifically for the fact that we do things slowly and we do ease into it and we try to give you a more holistic experience. And then there are people that come in who are very direct and they hate that, you know, they don't want that. You know, it's not the majority for sure. I think most people want the stored treatment. Yeah, I think that one experience, I'm way glad that I had that in my first week of working because it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows and I got to really learn from it and kind of pick up on what the patient wants from the get-go. But yeah, that was definitely tough and I won't lie, I definitely was very close to crying in my car as we like to say. <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely a good experience in, in hindsight. It was a good learning moment. I think also a big part of it that we've just realized is that, you know, we may be desensitized to being at the dentist. We are dentists. We're on the other side of the chair. But a lot of people do have that anxiety of coming to the dentist, whether it be from traumatic experiences as a child or the fact that you're looking into the most vulnerable you know, place in there on their body. And I think it's easy to forget that at times. And it all comes back to, yeah, it's not necessarily that they don't like you, you're here to help them and not to take those experiences that they have in their attitude to personally. Another patient that I had this week, it was an emergency patient and he came in and he was just in excruciating pain. This was my first time dealing with a patient who was in excruciating pain and just really irritable. We took the tooth out for him. It was an ordeal. It was lucky that he came with his mother because she was so good there to be like an anchor and to help with the communication, calm down, be that bridge between the two of them. But it was so interesting to see that after I first one numbed him up, just seeing his entire demeanor just change. And then two, when we got the tooth out, it was like he was a completely different person. And then you just realize that it wasn't that he was rude. It's not that he's an awful person. He was just in so much pain that pain changes the way you are. Being at the dental chair and that heightened anxiety changes who you are. And not taking that personally and understanding this is my job and my job is to get you from a better place than when you walked in through the door, kind of pushing through that, changing their perspectives. I think there's a lot of just yeah fulfillment that comes out of being part of that journey with them. How about you, Alan? Oh, I've definitely had my fair share and Gianna's heard all of, about them <laughs> over the last few weeks. Mixing it up a little bit, I think I'll talk from a difficult perspective in terms of difficult case. Like the patient themselves were quite pleasant but their case was just so overwhelming to me that in that moment I just thought this is so difficult I how do I diagnose this how do I communicate this and how do I get through and survive this appointment sort of thing and I guess what I learned from that experience is I'll, I'll share what kind of happened had this patient come in hadn't been in for like quite a few years, say like 10 or so years and just had quite advanced dental disease perio generalized caries, decoronated teeth. And it was just so overwhelming to me to sort of piece everything together in one appointment and present it. And whilst we were talking and sitting at the computer, going through photos and x-rays and things like that, 
I could see that I was just kind of word vomiting and I could see the patient's eyes kind of glaze over and I was, my overwhelmingness was being projected onto the patient and I just spoke out this massive treatment plan and all these options that we could do. In the end, the patient left with, I guess, a little bit more confused than when they had come in. They didn't realize that their oral health was in that state. So a little bit of cognitive dissonance and they were completely unprepared. They, they just wanted to clean <laughs> and they walked out with this massive list and, and huge treatment plan. And I think what I learned from that is it's really important to gauge what the patient's perception of their oral health status is at that time um, and also gauge what they can handle um, and, and how to present as well. I think the communication technique, tailoring it to each individual is really important. And going back, I think what I'd do after speaking to some of my colleagues is, hey, how come I didn't convert this patient? How like I've lost a patient now, I've, I've got someone completely overwhelmed, I'm still overwhelmed, what can I do better? And I think after gauging where the patient's at, tailoring a treatment plan towards them, so in their case, I would have broken it down and, and said, your case is actually quite complex, let's break it down, let's just get you to health, let's set our foundation, and then we can start talking about restorative techniques or replacing missing teeth. Let's just start by yeah, getting, getting the disease under control and working from there. And in that sense, not having to diagnose and treatment plan every single thing, um, but having a general goal and, and starting really simply first with just, you know, let's just clean your teeth. Let's just restore what we can and save what we can and let's get rid of what we can't. And then we can have a bit more of a discussion once you're healthy. So I think in terms of difficult patients, I've had yeah a few really complex cases and I'm just you know experimenting different techniques of how to break things down, how to not overwhelm other people when I'm overwhelmed and how we can kind of tackle it so that you know, patients are happy to continue on and I don't lose case acceptance, I guess. That's definitely such a big thing. And you know how we talked about or oh, having a conversation with someone and walking away with a nugget of gold? I think your little nugget of gold for me there was assessing the patient's like own awareness or perception of their own oral health. Because I found it, it's actually so true. Of course, we have patients that come in who think, oh, I had it the other day. I've got two great examples of a patient I saw the other day where he said, I came and saw the dentist here like two years ago. He said I needed some fillings done. But before then, I haven't been to the dentist since 1992. And I'm looking at it and multiple teeth are unideal. They've worn down. They're compromised. And with the technology that we have nowadays, we could offer him a more durable, long-term optimal outcome. But here's the thing. I've had these in since 1992 and they haven't caused me any issues. And so I very much overwhelmed him. And I was like, oh, I could, how would I have done that better? But that was talking to a patient who didn't see a problem. Whereas the day before, I had a patient come in and he'd seen the dentist. He'd recently moved and the previous dentist that he'd gone to see essentially diagnosed a mouthful of caries. He hadn't been to the dentist in like 10, 15 years since he was a child. And so he came to me and he said, I know my mouth's a mess. I know I've got a mouthful of decay. And so then when I was treatment planning and I had to tell him that every single tooth needed a restoration, he didn't bat an eye because he knew that he had a mouthful of problems. 
And so I, what you mentioned there, Olan, is just not necessarily using a cookie cutter approach for every single patient, is just tailoring it to what their own perception is, their own expectations, so that they're prepared as well. Mm, absolutely. I think initially the thought process I was going through was similar to uni where we have our vibers and you get marked if you say one thing if or if you don't say one thing um, out of the whole comprehensive case that you're given. And I think I was applying that approach privately. It's like I have to pick up on every little thing and we need to discuss every little thing and I need an answer for everything. But I guess privately you know, you, you can take it slower. There's no one that's kind of sitting there saying, you missed this, you missed that. It's all patient related and you can yeah, break it right down into really digestible phases. Well, like you said, Erica, if the patient's already super aware and um, they know the state that their oral health is in, then you can go a bit more comprehensively. One thing I, and concept that I only recently, I think, understood and I feel like for me, this was a bit of a groundbreaking just epiphany. <laughs> but the fact that many of our patients, actually, at this point in all our careers, all of our patients have been to the dentist longer than we have been a dentist. This just thought, just put things into perspective for me. And I think that, you know, you have a new patient they're in like, you know, their 50s or 60s and you're there telling them that they need this entire treatment plan and you feel the need to, okay, I need to get it all done. And you kind of feel this urgency of, okay, we're going to get the disease sorted. We're going to restore all the teeth that have decay. We're going to crown the teeth that are compromised. Then we're going to put an implant here or do a denture there. And you're thinking of this entire treatment plan and you're expecting it to be done like immediately. But perhaps that's just because we don't have time and experience under our belt. And we forget that the fact that, yeah, Patient has been to the dentist for decades longer than we have been a dentist. And not everything has to happen right now in the next few months or in the next year. And much like what Jayana said at the beginning about how, you know, the practice that you are at, how you're setting the foundation, that groundwork for developing a patient base that hopefully sticks with you long term, you may only be doing restorations for a patient right now because they don't want and they're not interested in replacing their missing teeth. But who's to say that in five years' time, if they're still seeing you, that they don't want to do it at that point? And I think for us, it's kind of tempering our expectations as well and not necessarily feeling the need to do everything all at once. Like you said, Ola, it is okay to just do one thing at a time, get them healthy first, and then address things at a later stage. Did you have anything to add to that, Zainab? Yeah, I think when you're so excited and you know it's a big case you want to jump into it and it's easy to overwhelm the patient and like you said once the eyes glaze over you know you just lost that patient <laughs> there's no coming back from that point you're better off just rebooking them bring them back in for a consult and sitting them down to have a nice chat with them or even getting them to bring in their partner or uh, a family member just so that they have someone to bounce or have them as a sounding board another nugget of gold i really like your suggestion about bringing a their partner in or a friend or someone there to kind of be a sounding board a second pair of ears a different perspective because it can be overwhelming hearing all of this but to have someone there to go over things with you as well just as a company I actually think makes a huge difference so that's another great suggestion Zena. 
the difference between when they're there by themselves and you know they they're told you need to spend this much in your health versus when they've got their wife or their husband or their daughter with them it's easy for you to spend i think on other people and your loved ones but i think generally for the majority of people we take ourselves for granted and i think a lot of us don't really want to spend that on ourselves and you you sort of see yourself as somebody who's built of steel yeah you just think you're going to be fine no matter what but having your loved one there and having their perspective to say no you know this is what are you doing like you know this is your health your health is your wealth and just having them there to share that perspective somebody who's invested in you and who cares a lot for you and wants you to live to the top quality that you can i think it's really really great to have them on board as well it balances so well i have this one couple actually i see the wife but her husband always comes with her and they're like my absolute favorite they're the most eccentric couple ever complete opposites in terms of personalities but they balance each other so well whereas you know she's frazzled she's she's a worry watch you'll come she's like oh, why is this happening why is that happening and then she's just a whole panic mess and then she'll say to me oh erica can you go and explain it all to my husband he says outside just bring him in because every time i try explaining things to him he just i just don't know how to do it can you just bring him in and just tell him all of it and so i'll bring her husband in and i'll explain it to him and he's very stoic and just stern and logical and rational and just very, you know, he he scared me the first time I met him. But now I've realized that he's scary on the outside, but softy on the inside. And he deeply cares and loves his wife. And so I'll explain things to him. And she's there in the background just panicking. And he's just like, so we'll do it. it needs to be done. We'll get it. If you need to buy that, we'll buy it. If you need this work done, we'll do it. If you need an appointment, we'll get it. <laughs> and it's just that balance is just so wonderful to see. And I think it's so powerful and something perhaps we don't necessarily think of because you're so focused on your patient themselves that you don't realize that their support network as well is a huge part in their experience of their treatment and coming to the dentist. Do you want to add orthodontics to your general practice? So many patients today are looking for aesthetic outcomes and, and changes, things that we can do with things like aligners and fixed braces that can put the teeth where they need to be so we can be more minimal in what we do to those teeth. I know it's something I wanted to learn and personally I've gone down the path with OrthoEd doing the mini masters. I'm also getting treatment myself, I'm in aligners right now. If you're ready to go all in with orthodontics, you can go and do the mini masters with OrthoEd and Dr. Jeff Hall and at the end you can get a postgraduate diploma. But if you're starting off with smaller steps, they even have some online education including aligners and aligner courses that are standalone. In the COVID environment we're currently in, these courses have remained live and we can then go and do them in person later on. I really appreciate the way they've managed that and I'm still getting tons of value. OrthoEd gives you an understanding from the foundational level. You understand aligners as well as fixed braces, the mechanics and all the things in between. If you're about to start your orthodontic journey, check out dentalheadstart.com orthoed to get 10% off their entire range. You might even run into me at one of the courses. Moving on, I guess, from this, and I guess Olan's kind of brought us into, okay, away from communication into the more technical side of it. I want you all to have a think about two wins and one failure that you've had 
whether it be you doing your first surgical extraction or doing a restoration that you were really happy with or communicating well with the patient. And then one really tricky scenario, whether it be a tooth that you broke or a patient you just couldn't manage or something that you needed help bailing out on. I want you guys all to have a think about it and then perhaps we can go around and share these experiences because again, like I say on the podcast, one thing that's really important is that you know when we talk to people, we often hear the highlights real and all the successes, all the great cases that they've done. Oh, no one is going to take a photo and share on Instagram the thing that they stuffed up. (laughs) You're going to share things that you're really proud of. But then I think it's also equally important that we talk about the things that have, you know, given us stress and, you know, made us almost cry or kept us up at night, you know, in a cold sweat because it's like, oh my God, did I perforate that tooth or no? (laughs) Or is it fine, right? Does anyone have any thoughts on one good, one bad case that they'd like to share? Yeah, there's there's Mm -hmm. so many, I guess, good things that happen and there's so many challenging things that happen as well I guess one thing from this last week that was quite relieving to me is I had a patient come in and it was an emergency appointment and the symptoms that they were presenting were just all over the place (laughs) my brain was just like racking every bit of information I'd had in terms of referred pain pulpitis like what is going on And the patient essentially presented with massive migraine, muscular pain all on the right-hand side, sinus pain as well on on the right-hand side, and a few teeth that just felt like they were going to explode. Like she said, when I put my tongue on them, they just feel like there's so much pressure. And it wasn't one tooth in particular. Although she pointed to one to start with, she was pointing all over the place. And I did get a little bit overwhelmed, and I started thinking, because it's so generalized, maybe it is, you know, maybe it is a referred pain. Maybe it's a sinus problem. Maybe it's non-odontogenic. And I went through the whole plethora of sensibility testing and, and questions to try and gauge a suitable diagnosis. And I was tossing up between this is too hard, this is non-odontogenic, I need to refer refer to someone. But then I was also thinking that this patient is in so much pain at the moment. What if it is odontogenic? And I remember one of one of the tests was at uni that we discussed was just numbing them up to see if that alleviates. So I gave her, I numbed her up. It was the four, six in the end. So ended up doing a block and she just went, wow, the pain's gone. And I just, I felt so relieved and that informed, you know, irreversible pulpitis and we started the extirpation. And the next day she was so grateful, like, I'm, I'm not in any more pain. You've completely taken it away. Thank you so much. I could finally sleep. But it just went to show if it is confusing, the, you know, you can use the whole plethora of tools, including numbing them up to see if that alleviates it. Yeah, I guess kind of not succumbing to assuming the patient's stress as well and <laughs> and getting tunnel vision and because for a moment there I was really convinced I was like look this is a sinus issue I can't help her but then kind of going back in and and seeing is there some more tests that I can do to kind of get to a more definitive goal and I guess that's a little 
gem. That's, that's something that I'm, I'm happy with. A good outcome. I think well done to you for taking the time and remaining calm because it's so overwhelming. A patient in pain is so overwhelming when you can't figure out, you know, when, when they're in pain and you look in their mouth and you're like, I can't see a hole. <laughs> and you're like, what is it? <laughs> yeah. It's most certainly overwhelming. So well done to you. I would most certainly count that as a major win in helping that patient out. So that is your win, Olan. What what yeah, would be what would be win, your yeah. <laughs> not so winning moment then in the last week or so? A patient that I had recently that I anticipated that we could get away with just a filling. And I guess we all know how sometimes x-rays can lie and the decay can be a little bit deeper than what is presented. And in this patient's case, it wasn't so much that it was at the nerve already. It was just the fact that we were still tracking down and we were almost crestal um, in terms of subgingival, how far subgingival the um, the carries was going. And it was uh, the distal of a seven, of an upper seven, and it was just getting really, really tricky. And I got it to a point where I was able to do a gingivectomy, remove some of the gum, and I really felt like the bone must be close. <laughs> we must be at, at the bone at some point. And I was going to put my um, my matrix in and I just couldn't adapt the matrix. The way we were actually at the root morphology, we were actually at a vocation and I was at a crossroads. I was like, I, I don't know how to progress here. If I try to put the matrix in, I can't properly seal down at this level because it actually divided in where the root vocation was. And I... I got my boss to bail me out and to come and help. And he also said, look, this is a really unusual situation. There's, I, I can't do any better. And so at that point, kind of discussed with the patient, look, this is what's happened. The decay has gotten to a point where we are very, very deep. It's your call. Would you like us to place a very temporary measure so that you can keep this tooth for you know, another week, another month? We don't really know how long. Or would you like us to just um, take it out so you don't incur that additional cost in the later stage? And he was, he was, you know, he was fine. He just said, look, save it if you can. I really appreciate all your efforts. And it's so nice to have a, a good patient when things 100%. go this way. So it was, yeah, a loss in the sense that it just turned into a much more difficult case than what I had anticipated but I guess it was a win in a sense that the patient was just so understanding. And we ended up doing a temporary measure. The post-op x-ray didn't show too much overhang, so I don't know how we managed that. But I guess it's just one of those situations where it isn't ideal. We did the best that we could. Um, at the end of the day, it was, you know, if we had got into that tooth 12 months ago, we wouldn't be in this situation. And it's just not assuming the responsibility of the patient's status of their oral health, but also just doing the best we can. Biggest thing, I think, like you said, is that at the end of the day, it comes to how you communicate it with your patient. You reminded me of a case I had. I think this would have been in my second week as well. Second week was a big week, hey, guys. <laughs> um, but I had a patient and she'd come in and she had a big like MO uh, carries under a existing amalgam on her 3.6. And I looked at it, I'm like, oh, irreversible pulpi. There's like clear diagnosis, really happy. It was easy diagnosis, know what we need to do. I said to the patient, okay, options, we can take the two out or we can you know do an RCT extirpate it today she wasn't sure which way she wanted to go but then we decided okay why don't we extirpate it today get you out of 
discomfort and then we can go from there you can decide what you want to do I opened it up but I had a feeling I was not where I was meant to be and I walked out the room to another clinician and it's a bit more of a senior clinician she doesn't do a lot of endo unfortunately my main mentor who does a lot of endo was away that day and so I asked the other clinician I was like do you mind stepping in for a moment because I think I've perforated the tooth and she comes in and she's like, oh, let's have a look. And she was confused. She's like, what am I looking at? Um, and she's like, okay, well, why don't you take a PA? Um, why don't you check with the apex locator? And I did. And so I think I perforated the pulpal floor through the buckle side of it. And you could see a bit of the gum there. And I was really upfront with the patient. I told her what happened. I said, unfortunately, you know, we've encountered a defect whilst trying to retreat the tooth today. Um, it's unideal. I'm sorry that this has happened. And we can offer you a specialist referral to try repair it, or we can take the tooth out. And she was so lovely. She was the loveliest patient. And she just said to me, she was like, oh, doll. She was like, thank you so much for spending so long trying to save the tooth. I know you tried your absolute best. Um, that's fine. If it needs to go, it's a bad tooth. I told you from the beginning that um, I wasn't going to go out without a fight. <laughs> and so she was so understanding and she just completely reassured me. Um, and so I temporized it. I gave her a call a few days later. She's like, it's not causing her any pain. She will come in to get it taken out. Um, she just got a few other things she needs to sort out first. But when my mentor came back, I showed him the case. I talked it through with him and he gave me a different perspective. I think this is why it's wonderful having a chat with different people because he said to me, he's like, Erica, like the point that you've actually perforated it wants to say this is any different from a very deep class two. And he's just like, we can try repairing it. It is subgingival, but it's not like you've perforated it at the fecation or down the root where that makes it a lot more difficult. He's like, why don't you call the patient, see when you can bring her back in. We can try opening it up and I'll have a look at it, see if we can repair it. She's up for it. If not, if it needs to go, then it needs to go. And I gave her a call and I proposed that to her. And she said, oh, if you think you can give it a go, let's go for it. I think much like what you said, Orlan, it was very much a fail, but then also a win from just experience and communicating it and figuring out how to overcome that together. So she's yet to come back in, but I'll give you guys all an update on what happens to that tooth afterwards. Um. Jayana, do you want to tell us about a win and a fail that you've encountered in your time of working, sir? Absolutely. I'll start with the win. And, you know, at the start of the procedure, it definitely wasn't feeling like a win. I saw a patient in the middle of the day. She came in on her lunch break because she had a toothache. But because of the appointment prior, I was running late, unfortunately. So I only had about 25 minutes with her. And she needed to have her two seven removed and it had been root canal treated and it had a large amalgam restoration like as a crown. And I was like, look, we probably can't do this in 25 minutes. So I said, hey, I'm, I'm really sorry. Would it be possible if I brought you back at the end of the day where, you know, if we do end up, we only had a half an hour slot. But I thought, you know, like if we do run a little bit over time, at least, you know, it would be going just into the end of the day. And she was, she was totally fine with that because she work 200 meters away so it wasn't a huge inconvenience for her to walk back but in that 25 minutes that I did have with her I went through all of the risks of the appointment did all of that so by the time she came in in the afternoon I could get straight to numbing and I did explain to her the risks of it being a difficult procedure because it's being root canal treated it's got the amalgam crown it's very likely it's going to fracture 
So yeah, she comes back in at five o'clock. I'm like, all right, we'll get you numbed up. But I didn't really go through the risks again because I thought we had done it five hours prior. But I guess people aren't going to always retain everything, you know, that you say to them. So that's lesson number one, then go through the risk right before doing it. And then I'm taking out this tooth and classic, the amalgam crown comes off and then I'm left with the root canal treated roots. And it was being really stubborn to come out. And same as what you were saying, Z, like I barely had any experience in sectioning teeth from uni. And it was getting to the point where I really was struggling to get it out. So I was like, okay, I really need to section now. And I was feeling very nervous about that with having such limited experience. I think I had done it once before. So this would be my second time doing it. And then she says to me, she's like, oh, like how much longer is this going to be? I really have to get home because my husband's waiting for me to get home to look after the kids before he can get to his appointment. I was like, oh my God, there's this time pressure on me now. And because I had explained that it could, like it very well could turn into a surgical procedure, but she must have forgotten that's why I think it's important to say right before. So I I felt this time pressure on me. It was starting to push quite like late after the work. I think it was maybe 20 minutes over time at this point, the DA shaking her head at me. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And there was one other dentist that was still around. And I was like, oh my gosh, thank God. I can ask her to come in and help me. So I got the DA to go out and ask if she'd be able to And then she said no, because she had somewhere to get to. So I just saw her walking out of the clinic in slow motion. I was was so stressed. And I was getting to the point where I was like, I maybe will have to call the owner of the practice. Because that's one thing about the practice I'm working at. Like my, in quotation marks, mentor actually doesn't work as a dentist anymore. He runs the business side of things. So it's good in some ways but also not so great but I guess we could maybe go over that later and yeah so it ended up I sectioned the tooth and I managed to get it out so it felt like a huge win and I remember dancing in the car on the way home I was so happy because I had a massive confidence boost of like I can also bail myself out too so that was the win that was really good it started off as a bad thing but it turned into a win and the patient was fine at the end of the day she was super grateful that we got it out and she's like oh my husband will be okay But in the moment, it felt awful. That would have felt even more rewarding given that it started off like going south and you managed to turn it around. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So that was good. That was my win, which I guess maybe could also come across as my bad one too. (laughs) I guess like the win in recent times this week is we're an emergency dental clinic at this place as well. It's like two businesses associated in the one practice. So we do get a lot of emergencies. And just like a simple one is this patient hadn't been to the dentist since she was a kid. She would honestly maybe even fall under phobia with dental. Like she just like, it was the worst thing in the world for her to be there. And she had to get these teeth taken out. She was just in too much pain. She had left it for too long. And it was so rewarding because we got to the end of the appointment. We removed the two teeth and she was beyond thankful. And just having that response from patients and you know being able to go on that journey with them and help them get out of pain when it's something so significant in their life and something that scares them so much is just such a beautiful feeling and you know now I've retained her as a patient she like is aware of how bad her dental condition is and we're going to do everything we're doing it in phases and we like have like created such a beautiful relationship now and she said to me she's like 
Um, you know, I would have never usually come back to the dentist. I only ever come if I'm absolutely desperate, but now because of this and because of you, I'm going to start coming to the dentist. So yeah, having those types of relationships is really, really rewarding part of our job, I think. So it makes it worth it. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Zaina? What is your one win and one failure that you've encountered since working? Um, I think definitely like overall the highlight has been emergencies just because it's so rewarding to get people out of pain and to be able to help them. Um, I think for me personally, because I really like kids and I really like peds, um, my biggest challenge is like when someone comes in, like I've had a lot of parents come in and they've said, you know, my kids screamed at, yelled at and kicked at their last dentist, but you can give it a go. Like, and automatically I know I, I hear everyone behind me sighing because they, everyone hates kids, difficult kids, but I really love them. So I take it on and, you know, I have one experience where the patient was just, she was a little two-year-old, super, super anxious. And before she had even stepped in, she was just sort of, she didn't want to come in. She was crying. She was kicking and she was like hiccuping through the tears. And I just, I sat with her for a bit and it was a 30 minute consult just to see what she needed to have done. Cause her parents knew that she had decay. Um, Cause she unfortunately had bottle feeding caries. The parents just didn't know so I actually didn't even bring them into the the clinic, like my surgery. I sat them in a separate, we have a little TC room, like a treatment care room. And I just sat her in the office and we had a nice sit down chat and I had a look and she was actually really calm and we just eased into it. And I think that was a really big win for me. And they were actually my first positive Google review. Like they gave me five stars. I was just so, I was like, oh, thank you. It just felt so special because I had won a little two-year-old over. <laughs> um, yeah, and now I've seen her like four times and I've even done fillings for her. And to go from not even being able to step into the surgery to being able to get numbed, it's just such a big difference. And that was really, really rewarding for me. And I, I counted that as a big win. <laughs> so um, much so, especially with kids. I feel like kids there, like if you can – start that journey for them give them a positive experience that's so impactful yeah and even for the parents I think they really appreciated the the ability to avoid GA and sedation because for them that's a really big traumatic experience and you know the child's knocked out so it's not really they don't remember much but the parents I think um especially in this economy it's tough for them to take that on and to have to do that for something they didn't anticipate such as like you know decay for a little two-year-old it's quite a lot to see their child put under for that so it was really really rewarding to have won them over and have them have a positive experience and for her to be able to avoid a traumatic experience so yeah I think beyond just surgicals and tricky cases and getting out of you know the tricky objectively tricky cases I think that that was a little win for me a little two-year-old <laughs> yeah and I think I guess in terms of what's been a tough case going back to that patient since it's only been three weeks since I've been working um I've been pretty lucky that I haven't had anything go wrong yet <laughs> Um, I think the worst so far has been that patient that just was really difficult to to manage in terms of communication and he just was not happy with how much treatment he that we had proposed. Like he thought he did not have anything wrong. He just thought he needed to check up and clean. And similar to what Olan was talking about earlier, I think learning from that experience has been really, really great because now I know 
patient perception and their own um, understanding of their oral status is so important and getting a feel for that before I've even sat them down for a conversation. I think that's been a really good takeaway. Yeah, for sure. Thank you all for sharing all your stories there. I think it's important to see like the highs and the lows. As we've said, not every day is all sunshine and rainbows. And so I think it's important to, you know, pick ourselves up after a difficult case, but then realize that, yeah, every experience is just another opportunity to learn and grow and get better at and not to make the same mistake a second time. Perhaps if we move on beyond, I guess, clinical and work, I want to talk about how it's been essentially going into full-time work, having been students for our entire lives to how we are balancing and fulfilling ourselves outside of work. And I know it's something that we all feel quite passionate about. And I know all of you do do things extracurricularly as well. Yeah, oftentimes I hear people fall into, and I know even I fall into, is just you wake up, you go to work, you come home, you sleep. You wake up, you go to work, you come home, you sleep. And that's it. But the first few weeks or first few months of working can feel very much like that, where you're physically, emotionally, mentally drained. How have you guys been balancing your lives outside of work, whether it be through hobbies um, or other extracurricular fulfillments as well? Jayana, do you want to tell me a little bit about it? I know you're quite into, and you told us about it at the beginning as well, and looking after your mental health, your physical health. What is your routine? Hmm. I think what's really interesting is when you first start work, yeah, you really have to reestablish a new routine and it's actually quite tricky and I feel like it takes a while to figure out what works well for you and your schedule. So I guess what I do outside is very much, I just love health and wellness so much. It's what I'm really passionate about. So hot yoga, hot Pilates and walking are my three favorites of keeping active. And I think the hot yoga and hot Pilates does tie in really well with our jobs being quite physically demanding. But I do it because, yeah, it just really makes me happy. And I really like cooking as well. So when I get home from work, there's like no phones, no screens, no connections to anyone really, but just being in the kitchen, cooking up these meals. And I find it as like an informal meditation, really, just to refocus your mind to just focus on one task and try not to think about the million things that have happened and dwell into those thoughts too much. It is important to reflect, of course, but we need to give ourselves a break as well. I've been really enjoying doing that as more of a routine thing. What's really nice as well that I encourage lots of people to try to do if they can is Alana, myself, and a few other ladies who we went to Griffith with, we have regular calls, like a weekly basis, same same day, same time, where we talk about how we're going, how we're feeling, what's been good, what hasn't been so good, and having that debrief has been really helpful. Another thing that's helped me, and I know this is dentistry related, which is a little bit sad, but because work has been a little bit hit and miss with my patient books and I want to feel like I'm doing as much as I can, one thing that's really helped me is I've been doing a lot of CPD and it makes me feel like I'm still like learning and, you know, I've gone down to Melbourne twice this year already and just having the travel aspect as well can be really fun and up to Brisbane, up to the Sunshine Coast, like where we all met recently. So just connecting with so many people, that's been fantastic. And of course, maintaining your friendships outside of dentistry too. 100%. Tell me a little bit more about like what these kind of courses you've been doing, what your plan throughout the year as well is, because I know a lot of new grads, one of the biggest 
questions that we get asked is, oh, what kind of dentist do you want to be? Or what's your area of interest? Or what kind of courses are you doing this year? And as a new grad, you realize, oh, dental school didn't teach me a lot, (laughs) taught me a lot, and it also didn't teach me a lot. And now suddenly you want to go invest your time and efforts into absolutely everything. Obviously, we're limited in it. What have you been tackling, Jayana, and what Mm. areas are you looking to focus on? I think the dentist that I want to be is like really broad scope and do as much as I can as a general dentist. But I've actually just started off with a communication course. So I've started doing the Power Up series with Dr. Tiv. It's a brand new course this year and like the it's a year long course. So I'll be flying down to Melbourne, I think eight times this year. And um, so the first three modules is on communication And then after that, it actually goes through stuff that's quite different. It goes through physical health for dentists, mental health, financial, um, that I think is really important. Like we are in a fantastic position where we can maximize the fact that we can be more of that self-employed if we're on SFA and just, you know, creating financial freedom for ourselves down the track. So there's all these different things to learn really. So I've actually started off with quite a generalized course this year and nothing specifically clinical this yet I've I mean I've attended some various different things with onlays and TMD but that's just been one off here and there and of course you can learn but I don't know how much you're going to learn from going to just one one off CPD so I think this year I'm really focusing on the broader scope and then maybe you know next year or the year after that start honing into the clinical skills even more than just learning at work because there's such a jump already. When you're in your first year out there, you just learn so much. It's crazy. So I don't know if I really need to add any other clinical skill learning because I'm already doing a lot of that at work. So I've found that the communication has been fantastic, especially with the fact that I do have more scarce books and I have noticed already just from doing communication courses alone, I have noticed a difference and the books are slowly building. So it's been worth it. It's been good. That's so wonderful. I completely agree with you where, yeah, a big part of coming out, graduating, realizing, oh, there's so much that you know I need to know, I need to learn, almost to temper those expectations, reel yourself in a little bit and not get overwhelmed by, I need to attend all these different courses. Much like what you said, a lot of it will come just through practice and seeing patients, a lot of those skills you will learn and perhaps just focusing on what I hear from your description there, Jayana, is like focusing on just adult skills, <laughs> just skills on how to be a working full-time clinician, just in terms of communicating, connecting, taking care of your mental health, taking care of um, your financial capabilities, all of that sets you up for a good foundation. And then once you have a bit more experience under your belt, you realize which are the areas that even after a year of practicing, I'm still struggling with, then you can kind of hone in on developing those particular areas. How about you, Olan? One of the things I wanted to ask you is obviously moving from the Gold Coast all the way to Tasmania. How have you found developing your social network, your support circle, and then finding that balance mm, alongside it's, um, it's a great question and it's something that I'm still trialing and navigating as well because it's still early days but like Jayana mentioned before it's been so helpful just having regular scheduled catch-up sessions particularly because this profession can get quite stressful so it's so nice to have connections to uni friends where we're all going through this 
kind of in a similar manner and we can all support each other. So that's been nice bringing that support with me to Tassie. But I guess my practice as well, we've got 10 dentists all off and um, outside of work, everyone's very friendly and welcoming. So I feel like I've got such a beautiful community already. I also joined a local church here, which has been really nice. Bunch of oldies, so sweet, <laughs> so lovely. Um, but I'm, you know, similar to John's, I've been utilizing my mornings to get in that exercise. You know, meeting people at the gym, and something that I've come to realize is. Uh, Launceston in particular is a very small town so I'm seeing my patients everywhere I go <laughs> it's, um, it's such a small town feel it, it does feel very um, very homely and very welcoming which is which has been really nice that's awesome. And you're quite involved in other extracurriculars as well. Um, we first met you online through the Essence and Foundation, which you're the operations manager for. What has your involvement been like throughout this year and how are you finding balancing that alongside working? Yeah, so um, like you mentioned, Erica, I do work as well in the nonprofit space. And as the operations manager, I essentially coordinate free dental clinic days for underprivileged children all the way back up in Queensland. And I've continued my commitment in that role, particularly, um, I guess it's quite selfish actually, because I just find it so rewarding. And we've mentioned off camera as well before, you know, we sort of have a separate brain for these things. So um, you're mentioning Erica with Dental Head Start space, like even though you've had a busy, busy week, you know, you're still able to to get through and, and coordinate these. And I think that's similar with me. It's still dental related, but it's just so rewarding and, and it's different from the clinical aspect. And I find that, yeah, it, it really breaks up and gives purpose to this skill set that, that, you know, I've studied five years to have. And it, it does get tiring because I do have to fly back to Queensland um, you know, on average once a month for these days. But it, like I said, so rewarding. If anyone's listening and they'd like to be involved, it's Essesson Foundation. And we're always looking for volunteers, for clinicians, for students to help with DAing or providing oral hygiene instruction. There's always a role for anyone. So please feel free to reach out to me. Most definitely. You guys are opening up your own practice very soon. That's right. right. So very exciting. We had a gala ball last year um, and we do have a gala ball coming up this year as well that has essentially raised funds to build our own um, private practice. So we've got a clinic in Ipswich in Queensland and we have furbished one room already. So we've got a chair that's all set and ready to go. And very shortly, we're looking at yeah hosting these free clinic days and seeing these underprivileged children all in this one spot. Um, and once we have that up and running, we will definitely be in need for lots more volunteers and clinicians and students to help out. 
Yeah, definitely. We've spoken about how, you know, we've worked together with Essence and Foundation in the past and we really want to see this through going forwards as well. A big part of Dental Head Start is our giving project. And so we would have mentioned earlier in the year that this year we want to very much have a day where we bring together our listeners and to come, volunteer, meet one another, interact, but then be able to contribute and give back to the community in some way. So Watch this space. I think a Dental Head Start Essence and Foundation collaboration happening very soon on the oh, horizon. Oh, that is so exciting. Thank you. Thank you for all your support, mm-hmm. Erica. <laughs> One thing I really love, and I think we've mentioned this together, Zainab, is giving yourself time. Just, okay, you don't have to have everything all together and have your life all planned out immediately. The whole transition of going from being a student and living a student lifestyle to working full time, it is a lot. And so you don't have to be the person that, you know, wakes up at 4 a.m., goes to the gym, does meditation, um, writes in their journal, and then goes to work and then comes home and does all this. You don't have to. You can if you can if you do that already, like props to you, but you don't have to do all of it immediately, right? Like I think giving yourself that grace and just understanding and forgiveness of, okay, it's all right. I just need to build up that stamina of going to work and I think very much like what we've just said, Zainab, how my very first few weeks, it was just so exhausting. But now after, I think I'm going into my third month now, I find myself, oh, going to work each day is not as difficult. Over the weekends, you'll have like today, Sunday, I'm like, damn it, I need to go to work tomorrow. (laughs) But then once you start that week, you just you get into that mindset and then you start developing a bit more capacity to look into um, doing things outside of work. And I think it's important to have that, what you mentioned, giving yourself a month or two months or whatever it be, but then catching yourself on it as well. I think one of the mistakes that I often hear new grads falling into is that that space ends up being a whole year or ends up being you know, two years or three years and they still haven't broken that and then I think that's the recipe for burnout it's the recipe for not having job satisfaction and not enjoying it because you're not finding an outlet outside of work like a monthly and then a 90 day and then three three monthly goals just to make sure that you're holding yourself accountable and you don't catch yourself falling into just living for work Yeah, definitely. I think this is a nice way to start wrapping up our conversation here, but I wanted to do an exercise with the three of you and perhaps something that our listeners can do as well is that whilst we're here, what is one thing you want to work on throughout this year? I know personally, a big thing that I feel like I need to work on is that confidence. It's something that we come back to all the time. We've talked about in the past as well, but it's the confidence and conviction of talking to your patients, calling the shots of, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I think everyone develops as clinicians at different paces. We have colleagues who are doing insane work, you know, in their first few months out. I am most certainly not that person, but for me, a big part of my growth that I want to work on is not being so scared and being confident in making those decisions. What would you think, Olan? What would your goals be? Um, And I guess following on from what you've just mentioned, Erica, confidence um, is a huge thing that I'm I'm working on at the moment. And a mantra that I live by is fake it, you believe it, (laughs) which I constantly remind myself. 
But I think another thing would be comparison. And um, particularly comparison really is the thief of joy. So, you know, a lot of our peers are incredible and posting beautiful anatomical restorations and and wisdom teeth extractions and things like that. And it it's so beautiful to see and, and celebrate their successes. Um, but particularly when you yourself have a rough week or a rough session, it can be so easy to just look at it and then look at where you are and then compare the face value. Um, so I think what I'm working on is, yes, acknowledging that there are people doing incredible things. There, There is no rush. Jayana always reminds me that we are in this profession for, you know, like 40 years or something. There's no rush. We're going to get there. We are going to be confident and competent and and able. And, it, you know, for some of us, it just takes a little bit longer. But we are all progressing. And each day that we show up and do our best, we are um, working quite slowly towards that end goal. So I, I think just I want to work on taking things in my stride so that I don't burn out, not comparing myself to others but also just continuing to, I guess, fake it till I believe it. (laughs) (laughs) It's very much a mantra I think we all relate to and have to emulate as well. Jayana, what would yours be? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of different ones for sure. I think one that I'm working on quite a lot at the moment and I'm sure it's going to take quite a while to learn is um, lowering anxiety levels, like dentistry makes me so anxious. Um, and I realized when I was speaking before, I kind of only said two wins, but there's definitely been stuff that I haven't, hasn't gone to plan two. And yeah, dentistry still freaks me out. I'm still quite anxious. And like what you were saying, I always get the Monday blues. I'm like, what's going to walk through the door tomorrow? Like, what do I have on this week? And I try to tell myself stress once. That's like one mantra that I've been using because like, you know, something we might be anxious about, a procedure that's coming up that we're going to do, but stress about it once. Stress about it when you actually get there. Like, of course, you can prepare for it, but don't go like all these days prior really thinking about and stressing about it because who knows, that patient might FTA. So you've stressed for the last three days for no reason whatsoever. So that's just one example. So I think, yeah, really trying to just worry about it when it comes to and don't let our brain overthink and create these feelings of anxiety. I think the first thing is just recognizing it. I think it's easy to be in denial thinking you've got everything all together and you've got it, but just accepting and acknowledging the fact that, yeah, I am stressed out. Yeah, I am anxious. That's, I think, step one. Even the other day, um, when I had just like this crazy hectic morning and I literally just dismissed the patient and my DA came into the room, but I grabbed her and we're like, we are going for a walk. And we went for a walk and we picked up some food for lunch, sat down and we just talked, I de-stressed, I debriefed with her. Um, We talked about all these other things. And then I walked back into the clinic and then sat down and wrote my notes. And just that act of stepping away was just so helpful. Something like that, just recognizing, okay, I am frazzled. I am stressed right now. Let's just go for a walk and then come back and then process it afterwards, I think is really important. Thank you for sharing that, Jayan. I think something we all need to be um, mindful of. Zainab, let's finish off with you. 
coming back full circle, tell us what are your goals then for Similar this to Jaren, year? I think I've also, I'm a bit of a high strung, always like anxious, um, typical type A sort of person. So I take on a lot of stress and I think dentistry being so detailed it's really really easy to tunnel vision and you see that you work in millimeters you know endo 0.5 millimeters can make a world of a difference in terms of outcome so it's it's easy to get bogged up in the details and take it on quite heavily I think it's easy to um, centralize everything to your career especially now where we're meant to be at our most motivated and most driven just at the height and start of our career so that's one thing I really want to work on. I want to make sure that I'm actually treating myself and treating people around me and enjoying life a bit more. Um, the clinical goal is more related to not falling into comfort. As a new grad, especially your first few months out, look at whether it's within 1% to 4% of your comfort zone. If it is, take it on. But there are things that, you know, we don't even know our own scope at the moment. So there are things that might be 40% out of our comfort zone. Maybe that's when you should bring someone else on board and do a case with somebody who's more experienced or even refer it. So I think just having that to fall back on is, is really good. So making sure I'm not settling into my comfort zone and I'm still making myself uncomfortable enough to grow. Definitely. I think, yeah, having that drive to continue learning it's this whole balance right balancing your expectations mm. to be a clinician um like much like what Olan was saying is understanding that yeah we are at the beginning of what will likely be a 30 40 long year career you don't have to do it all immediately but then also not falling into that complacency where you're not pushing yourself to be the best that you can and fulfilling your utmost potential so it's interesting. Interesting to hear all of your perspectives across all your different journeys. I think it's so wonderful. Um, thank you all so much for joining me on the podcast. It's been wonderful to connect with people who are in the same boat, to hear your perspectives, the wins, the struggles, the uh, successes and failures, everything in between. Thank you all for thank being here. Thank you so much for having us, Erica. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.